material. And just as a reminder, this is the fifth class. We'll be doing this uh, for 10 weeks. Um, so, so far, we have, uh, we've talked about in week one how the whole Bible kind of lays out uh, the, the heart of God to take the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth, to make a people for himself, to convert them, to give them, uh, take them from having hearts of stone that were, that were created by our sin and give us hearts of flesh that beat according to his heart. So we see that from Genesis to Revelation. That's where we started. Then... Um, in week two, we talked about the, the kind of the, the difficult uh, nature of holding in tension God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, seeing both of those big, important truths throughout Scripture, and how do we understand how they fit together. And so Chris led us through um, conversations about that a couple weeks ago. If that either, one, like stirred up some more questions for you, maybe than even answers from that conversation, or you've been having more conversations with others about that, you'd like to continue to help them understand that. I've got a book we'd love to give away on the topic, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. This is, um, it's hard not to label most of Packer's books as modern classics, but this is a fantastic classic on this topic. So would this be a help to anybody in the room? Come grab it. Awesome. Super helpful, really readable. Won't take you forever to get through it, but one that I've gone back to multiple, multiple times. All right, so then um, in week three, we just tried to distill what is the gospel message? How do we understand? How do we wrap our hands around what that message is? How do we not confuse it for even the tools that we might use to explain it to others? So like a helpful tool is to understand, to think about the gospel in, in connection with God, man, Christ, and response. So who is God and what has he done? Who, is, uh, who are we and what have we done to alienate ourselves from God? And who is Christ? Um, what are his characteristics and what has he done on the cross and in his resurrection? And how do we respond to those truths? That's a helpful way to wrap our hands around the gospel, but we even talked then. That, that's not um, the gospel in its uh, entirety, but it does help us understand and communicate that to others. And then when we got together two weeks ago, we talked through how do we use our own personal testimony as a vehicle to convey that message to others. So again, not confusing the tool of our personal testimony with the gospel, but leveraging well the tool of, man, this is, this is, this is who I was. This is how I met God. This is how I understood the gospel. Here are the beautiful truths of the gospel, and this is how God has changed me, and this can be for you as well, using those things well. And so this week we want to move forward and talk about how do we recognize that evangelism is not just uh, an individual sport, but instead it's a team sport. So Jeremy is going to try really hard throughout this conversation to pay attention, uh, but simultaneously knowing that, that one of the most famous of individual sports is being played right now uh, in London. Anybody know what that is? Championship for tennis in what What's the name of the tournament? Wimbledon. That's right. So big, big day at sports in London today, right? So we've got to start this morning. We have the epitome of individual one-on-one -on -one, uh, sport contests with the championship uh, between uh, Novak Djokovic and somebody who's going to try to dethrone him. And so, uh, so this morning we're going to see how two individuals who have uh, 
poured their hearts into their sport are going to try to go one-on-one with each other. Later on this afternoon, there's another big sporting contest in London. Anybody else know what that one is? It's played in Wembley, not Wimbledon. It's the Euro Championship today. So the Euro is a, a big soccer tournament happening between all the big uh, countries in Europe. So the, the, the countries that do soccer the best, right, have a, their own tournament. It kind of dwarfs uh, the, even the World Cup in some ways. It'll probably be better than the Olympics uh, tournament coming up in a couple of weeks. And so today, uh, uh, England has an opportunity to, to win their first major championship in, uh, in, in 60-something years, something like that. All right, so you, what you have this afternoon is one of the epitome of team sports, right? Uh, uh, players moving back and forth, passing the ball, u- u- utilizing their own skills, recognizing their own important place on the field. And actually, there'll be a lot more points scored in this morning's, right? Um, and it might, in some ways, to the American eye, be a, a more exciting sport to watch the individual one this morning than to watch this team sport that gets played this afternoon that may only have a few goals scored. But I think the image that we see in the afternoon sport actually pictures evangelism in a lot better fashion. So for most of us, when we think about evangelism, we think of that like, um, we caricature that that pivotal one-on-one conversation that we have with an individual. Maybe even you characterize it as kind of like a cold contact. Like you just walk up to someone and you say, hey, if you were to die today, what, what assurance would you have that you would make it into heaven? And, and those those, that is evangelism, and those are important conversations uh, to be had. But that's not the only way in which we, we do evangelism. And actually, what we should think about that is more like the breakaway in soccer. Like when the, when the one player gets the ball and he gets the opportunity one-on-one with the goalie uh, to take that shot. And how, how, does, he, how does he use his skills in, in that moment? But even when you watch that moment, that moment was often set up by 15 or 20 different passes from his teammates that got the ball in just the right place for him to be able to take that shot. And so the individual might get the glory, but it's actually the whole team that set that up. And that's how we want to think about our corporate witness together as a body, that we as are always in the game. We're always encouraging one another. We're always uh, moving the ball around to set one another up for the perfect opportunity to score. And who knows where that opportunity might show up. And it might not be that the guy who's, the, who's up in front, who's the forward, who usually takes all the shots, who usually makes all the goals, is the one who scores the winning goal. It might be that midfielder who gets, who gets pulled up. It might be an incredible opportunity. It might be, it might be the goalie, right? There have been some, even in this Euro championship, there have been some players that play in the backfield who don't typically make shots, who have made some really pivotal goals in this year's tournament. And that's the case for all of us. All of us are are given the opportunity to move the ball around to assist one another in evangelism, but also we're all ready to take that shot when we get when we get the chance. So what I want us to think about today as we work through our material is how does the whole body encourage us? What are ways in which the ball uh, metaphorically is moved around within our body so that we are all encouraged and given the opportunity when the time comes to take that shot in evangelism? So so some mistakes, I think, that can be made um, when, we, when we think about how we lean on the body for evangelism. One is that we overemphasize the, the body's role in corporate evangelism. So when I, when we, what I mean by that is that 
um, in that sense, we think, well, my job is just to get uh, is just to get non-believers around really good evangelists. Like, if all I if all I do is I just get them to come with me to church, come with me to the the main gathering on Sunday mornings, then then I'll lean on the paid professionals, those guys up front. Uh, those guys who are, are the phenomenal, uh, you know, maybe gifted evangelist, I'll just get them around, and that's all I have to do. So I have this tiny, tiny little role. You've, in that case, you've overemphasized the role of the corporate body. Yes, that can work, and we're going to talk about ways that that happens, but we don't want to do it su- to such an exclusion that we then don't see that we have any other role, any other part to play, any other ways in which we're going to leverage their giftedness to prepare ourselves to take the shot that the Lord has given us. I think on the other end, we might underemphasize the role of the local church or the role of the, of the corporate gathering when we, uh, when we share the gospel. And, and when we do that, what we do is we end up thinking that, uh, that evangelism is only ever done away from the body. It's only ever done in kind of those, again, one-on-one conversations excluded from, um, from others. Maybe we think that, uh, that it's only done in personal settings, that, the evan- that evangelism can't be done or the gospel can't be shared in, um, in gatherings or around religious institutions or some other portion where we think, well, actually, it's a detriment uh, to be around the body if I want to share the gospel with this person. And I want us to, to recognize that, that that's not true either. That's, a, that's the other ditch we want to avoid, trying to stay out of both of those places where we either rely on the body too much and don't see our role, or we exclude the body from the, its role within, within the gospel. And, that, and when we do that, it's, like, it's kind of like the hot shot who thinks that they're the one who, just because they maybe do a lot of, uh, a lot of the scoring, a lot of the, the highlight kind of plays we're gonna, we will, we'll see um, after today's uh, big game, they were the ones that everything depended on. When they forget that there was so much that was done, that even this, this kind of class here is setting you up to be able to have those individual conversations. So here's what I want us to do as we walk through our material today. First, I want us to discuss how um, the local church proclaims the gospel when it gathers. All right, and this isn't the only way. This isn't the only place we corporately um, proclaim the gospel, but it is a good exemplar of, of the places in which we share the gospel together corporately, how we're intentional to do that, how you can leverage that space. So I want us to think about that when we gather, the places where we gather this morning. Second, we're going to think about ways we can use the gospel's gathering to discuss the gospel with others. So thinking about what are those pieces of, of how we get together when we think about the church, when we think about others, that might prompt conversations that happen away from the gathering. And then finally, I want us to think about um, all the different places within the body that are going to give you opportunities to share the gospel, to grow as an evangelist. So let's think about um, how this happens when we all gather together. And what I've done on your handout here is we've got this reoccurring line. When the church gathers together, non-Christians can. And then I, we've got some bullet points here for you to fill in as we go. And so when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel and this first one is proclaimed, proclaimed. All right, when, um, one of the, the main tasks of the preacher, of a pastor, is to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So we see this all throughout the New Testament. Um, 
Paul and Peter and John, even Jesus, speak about the centrality of the gospel in the life of God's people. Therefore, when the church gathers around God's word, we expect that the, God, that the pastor will clearly preach the gospel. When we gather together around God's word, wherever we open God's word, whatever text that we're in, we, we expect the pastor to take us from there to be able to understand how that highlights some element of the gospel and to be able to procl- then to proclaim the gospel to us. So you, hopefully you have come to expect that um, here at UBC, whether you've been here at UBC for a long time or whether you're relatively new uh, to us here, hopefully you have come to expect that when you go to our main gatherings that you're going to hear the gospel proclaimed from God's word during the sermon. And that, and that includes a call to not only explain what the gospel is, but how to respond to the gospel and giving instruction on how to do that. So, um, to, so to think of kind of how we might see this in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about how, um, how the, the Corinthian church is to be ordered in their gathering, how they're to use the, uh, the spiritual gifts well when they gather together. And he's contrasting how they might use uh, some, some uh, gifts dis- in a disordered fashion and the fruit of using some gifts in an orderly fashion. And so he says in verse 24 of chapter 14, But if all prophesy, so here's the contrast, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Wow. This, this is, the, so when we talk about prophecy here, and this, this is more about uh, forth-telling, telling, telling the, the good news, bringing forth the message of God, not necessarily foretelling, like this will one day happen, that kind of thing. But he's saying, when, when they gather together, they, they should all prophesy if all prophesy. So if everyone there in an orderly fashion brings the gospel out in their conversations as they uh, prophesy, particularly we would think of the, the brother who would stand in the front end to preach to us. Then um, look at what's communicated here. The, they, will, they will hear it. The, the secrets of their hearts will be disclosed and, and they'll fall on their face. This is this picture of repentance. They'll, they'll They'll fall on their face. They'll worship God and declare that God is really among us. So in, in, in members meetings, a, uh, you know, when, when we gather together or, or before baptisms, all right, we often hear testimonies of people who want to come to church, who have come to church as non-Christians, and then they hear the gospel proclaimed. Um, and God opens their hearts, just like we see here in Corinthians, just like we read about like with, with Lydia uh, in Acts chapter 16, that, that they hear the word proclaimed and their hearts are changed by God and they repent and believe and are saved. So we, we want to infuse this in every part of the gospel or every part of our services. So hopefully you're, you are hearing the gospel proclaimed from the service leader when he stands up and, and talks about what we're going to do uh, together when we gather, when he, when he connects the dots between the songs that we sing and the scriptures that we read. Ho- hopefully you hear it when we, we read those scriptures. They're not just random places pulled together. You, you hear it from the congregation when we, when, we, uh, when we confess corporately together, all of us together saying gospel 
truths. Um, well, hopefully, a non-believer hears it in the conversations that we have here, that we have before we go into the service, when we go, when we leave the service, uh, following when we linger, right, together and, and talk through things. Hopefully, what they pick up is gospel conversations being proclaimed, not just. Um, the news of the day or uh, chit-chat that happens, you know, when, when groups of people get together that they might find in any other setting while they wait for a, a meeting to start at work or an event to start or after it's over. But instead, our hope is that they're hearing it proclaimed so that an unbeliever or outsider, as he enters, he's convicted by it. He's called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, so when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel proclaimed. Secondly, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel prayed. We pray the gospel. And and I was I wanted to it's really similar to how we proclaim the gospel, but in this case our audience is different. So yes, there is a, a horizontal element as they overhear our corporate prayers, um, but our audience now is not that I want you to hear me talk to God, although that happens. It's that I'm talking to God, and, and, and they're overhearing um, how I'm articulating the gospel in prayer. Uh, I don't know what uh, your life was like before Christ, but um, for most Christians, um, prayer, or most non-Christians, prayer is an element of their life. Maybe they don't do it regularly. Maybe they don't do it well, um, but they have a concept for it. But to hear to hear Christians pray, and to hear Christians pray um, gospel prayers it is, it should be changed, should change the way they think about prayer, should change the way they think about God. And so we don't just want our, uh, th- them to come in and just hear you know, liturgical, dry, um, uh, religious talk. Instead, we're hoping that they hear um, heartfelt prayers of adoration and confession, thanksgiving, um, bringing our request pastorally before the Lord. So I, I imagine that they will notice that a, a, a truly Christian prayer is different um, because it's Christ-centered, because it's God-glorifying, it's dependent on the grace and the sovereignty of God. It, it confesses our sin, which we talked about a couple weeks ago is a really unique thing in our culture. People don't just confess sin, uh, even even to ask forgiveness uh, for one another in the workplace. We're, we're very hesitant to do that. But we do that readily. We do that um, corporately when we gather together. That's a way in which we're hoping that the gospel will be heard and displayed in our gatherings. Third, when, church, when the church gathers together, non-Christians will hear the gospel sung. We, we sing gospel truths when we gather together. One of the, the sweetest aspects of corporate worship is when Christians gather and sing. Um, according to Scripture, God's people should sing both joyfully and truthfully. So when non-Christians hear God's people lift their voices, it's as if they believe what they're singing. Right? That we're not just driven by the emotion, but that we are, we're driven by the, the big truths that are, that are in there. And it's striking... Um, that they could, um, that they can think about the circumstances of your life and think about the circumstances of their life and realize that um, that we are singing still joyfully and truthfully. So we can sing 
heavy, hard things, even confession of sin. And we can sing that joyfully because we're singing it truthfully. And we, don't, we don't need to conjure up the joy of the emotion by just singing um, light and airy things, which, again, gets us really close to what our culture loves to sing about. Loves to sing about, um, about love and about affection and about experience and about thrills and all those kind of things because, it, because that music draws them into that experience. And, and, and what we're trying to draw them to is, is the big and weighty and beautiful and joyful truths of Scripture. And so think about Psalm 119, verse 172, that says, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. And so when David and when we sing of God's word, we proclaim the truth to everyone within earshot. One of my favorite passages that helps us understand this is Colossians 3.16, where Paul exhorts the, the church. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, having grown up in church, I have heard that phrase over and over and over again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And unfortunately, I've often heard it applied individually. Like, to you as an individual, this is an encouragement uh, to have the discipline uh, of reading God's word, of meditating on scripture, of me- me- meditating on it. Let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And while I think that's a right truth, I think it's the wrong text. Because what's happening here is that Paul is writing to them collectively. Let the, word, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. Let it dwell within you as, as a group, in, in y'all. And this is how it happens. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, we get that. We talked about the proclamation piece. We, we're gathered here together now for me to teach you on this. But here, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What, what Paul's not doing here is he's not giving categories, like you make sure you have a psalm and make sure you have a hymn, make sure you have a spiritual song. He's, he's giving like a breadth, like collectively. Look at all these different ways, these different rhythms of singing that we should sing together. Why? So that we can encourage one another, so we can teach and admonish one another, so that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly. So, Absolutely. Again, this is like we talk about with prayer. Our, our primary audience is the vertical. Our primary audience is worship and praise to God for these truths of the gospel. Recognizing also that within earshot is a horizontal element, that we are encouraging one another, that we are teaching and instructing one another with these truths when we sing. So God's people should sing songs that are true. And as we do, God can use those gospel-saturated lyrics to pierce the hearts of those who do not believe. So that's part of our, our horizontal um, element, our horizontal audience. And it, it's incredibly important um, as a tool as we seek particularly to evangelize the children in our midst. So one of the largest collection of non-believers that, that join us on Sunday are our children. Um, so there, there will be dozens of 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 non-believing children that gather with us this morning, my, particularly maybe even my children included, um, who, who have not yet trusted in Christ, but who have over and over and over and over again heard these big truths of the gospel. And you will help me evangelize my children this morning when we sing big truths and they bury these, these tunes in their heart. So when we sing today, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life 
had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Do you hear who the primary audience is? We're speaking you, to you, God, right? If, if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Our primary audience in this song will be the Lord. But who else will hear us sing this? The, the room of one another, of Christians, are encouraged that we sing this together. We sing this big truth. But little hearts and big hearts who don't yet know Christ will hear that big gospel truth. That as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. So I think this morning, as we sing those very lyrics in just, just a few minutes, yes, you are proclaiming those truths in worship to God for his individual work in your life. But corporately, we are also singing those big truths as an evangelistic outreach to those who have gathered with us this morning. So when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel sung. They also, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can see the gospel displayed. So we, we put on display the works of the gospel when we do the, the two ordinances that God has entrusted us. So both baptism and the Lord's Supper are pictures of the gospel. So at UBC, we partake of the Lord's Supper um, about once a month. Um, actually, once a month, um, but on a different Sunday each month. And we typically baptize folks on those Sundays that follow our quarterly uh, church, um, church conferences. So when non-Christians see those two ordinances being carried out, they, they're witnessing clear pictures of what the gospel means to be born again and to obey and to follow Christ. So when we baptize folks here at UBC, we ask that Christian to share their personal testimony. So just like we talked about last week, about how Christ intersected their destructive, hell-bound life, like we're going to sing, right? and redeemed and rescued them from their sins. So everyone in the building on that Sunday will hear the story of God's amazing, saving, sovereign grace in the life of that person being baptized through, and then they'll see it pictured as they think about the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as mirrored in the life, death, and resurrection of this individual as pictured in their baptism. So by grace, through faith, that person has been united with Christ and, and declares the righteousness of a holy God. And now, by trusting in Christ, they have died to their old life of sin and are now living with Christ. The old man is in the grave, and by the grace of God, they have been raised to new life. And so um, Romans 6.4 pictures this. Romans says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I, I grew up in a Baptist church, and I, I, by God's grace, got to witness uh, countless baptisms. And I heard that phrase over and over again. 
Uh, maybe if you grew up in a tradition like mine, you've, you've heard it similarly. Raised to walk in newness of life. Raised to walk in newness of life. I even remember um, as a blasphemous little kid, like dunking my friends in, uh, in the pool uh, and, then, and then pulling them up, raising them to walk in newness of life. Um, because I misunderstood. I thought that was just like, that was just the code language that we used. I thought that was just tradition. And I, I can remember the, the shocking moment when I realized, you know, that's Bible. That, that, that's exactly what God has always intended for that to, to picture. And we say that to make it really clear that this is what's happening. They, they are raised from the grave, raised from this watery grave to walk, washed in newness of life. So in the same way, when, when a non-Christian sees the gathered church come together for the Lord's table to partake of the Lord's Supper, we see a clear picture of what it means to, to obey and follow Christ. So Christians um, are people who have fellowship with the Lord through the sacrifice of his body, which has been broken, and the shedding of his blood. And we, we take sin seriously, and we rest in Christ's substitutionary atonement um, with joy-filled hearts. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26, it reads, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, we all, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, here it is, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When, when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death. So we are, when, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just our family meal. It's intended to be a proclamation of the gospel. So by rightly preaching, teaching, singing, baptizing, serving the Lord's Supper, the church proclaims clearly to the world the line that Christ has drawn between those who are right with him and those who aren't, and then beckons them to be made right in Christ. All right, this last one here on the inside, number five. When the church gathers together, non-Christians can see the gospel lived out. Lived out. So um, I'm sure many of you uh, have run into people who say, like, I'm, I'm really great with God. I, I love God. I love, I love Jesus. Uh, but I can't, I can't stand uh, the church. I can't, I can't be around the church. I can't, I can't do the institution of that. And, and there are so many ways that that would sound a whole lot like, Cole, we really like you. Cole, we love being around you. Cole, we think you're a great teacher. Cole, we think you're a lot of fun. Uh, but Caroline drives us crazy. Like, we cannot stand being around your bride. Uh, and so we're cool to hang out with you uh, in these places. That would not be very nice. Exactly right. Um, um, and, uh, but that's what we do whenever we, we, uh, uh, when, we, when someone says, like, I, I love God, but not his bride. But unfortunately, um, we can kind of contribute to that misunderstanding when we don't live the gospel out and how we care and love for one another. When, when, when instead, we're, we're a changed people. When we gather together around the gospel and not around the Razorbacks. When we gather together because we have been converted by the, by the good news of the gospel and by grace, and not just because uh, this is advantageous to us uh, for our social reform or our, our uh, community.
community connections or our the 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 political aspirations that we have, whatever other reasons people might want to gather together or even gather together at the church. When we gather together around the gospel, it, it changes us. And so we, we don't just gather because we all look the same or act the same or like the same things, but because um, but God has drawn us together. And then when we are together, um, then we, we, in, we perform the one another's towards one another. We, we, we love one another. We, we care for one another. We carry one another's burdens. We, um, we call each other back. Um, towards faithfulness. We, we lovingly forgive one another. Those are transformative things about the gospel in our lives that are revolutionary to a watch, watching world. So when, John, when Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Did you hear that last part? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so one of the ways that we collectively work really hard to make sure our corporate gatherings display the gospel is that we work really hard to love one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, to, to preserve the unity within the body of Christ, to to, to ask for, for, to confess sin and to ask for forgiveness from one another and to readily, because of the grace of God, to forgive one another. And this is what Paul, this is what Jesus prayed for us in, in John 17, that we would have that kind of, of unity. And so, um, so think about this uh, for yourself. How, how do you, how do you see us interact in this way? How, how, how have you borne witness to that within the life of the body, and how are you contributing to that? So are, are, we, are we loving towards one another, and how do we see that, and, and where can we improve? How can we contribute? How have you befriended others within UBC because of the gospel? How, how are you intentionally um, making friends with those within this body, not because of the things that the world would tell you are the reasons you should befriend them, because maybe you, they're your same age or, or, or you, you like the same things or you come from the same background, have the same nationality or speak the same heart language or whatever those things might be. But because of the gospel, all those barriers are broken down and you're intentionally befriending other members within the body because of the gospel. How are you practicing hospitality with members and with unbelievers? How, how are you intentionally putting the gospel on display in that way? Well, when we, so I wanted us to see there how all these kind of facets of what we do together is intentionally built, if we're doing it well, to, to encourage uh, and to give us opportunities for the, for the gospel to be proclaimed and to encourage our evangelism. But quickly, I want us to think about how, um, how, to, how incorporating um, how you can be incorporating the corporate gathering into your evangelism, how you can be thinking about it. So more than just, remember, we don't, we don't want to see all those things and then end up in the first ditch where we overemphasize the role of the body and just say, well, then great. All I have to, if the gospel's on display in all of those ways, all I got to do is get people here. Uh, I want us to think more creatively about that. So first, uh, when, you, when we talk about the church, be sure that we speak of it highly. So this, this doesn't mean that we don't recognize the flaws within our own body, that we don't talk about those things, that we don't, um, that we don't work to address them, 
No, absolutely we do. But also be wary of the fact that, remember we just talked about, there are lots of people out there who would say, I love God, but I don't love his bride. And part of that's contributed when we only ever talk negatively about, about our experiences at church. And we never intentionally talk positively about um, our experiences with the body. And, and, and prayerfully, there have been countless ways in which this body has encouraged you um, this week. And think about, as you go into this week, what are ways you can initiate conversations with others to talk positively about what happened here today? There will be tons of opportunities this week to talk, to talk about what you did this weekend. Um, and, and there may be opportunities to talk positively about, man, I had a great experience. I did this, went to the lake, did we, we got this project done at the house, helped this person, whatever else. And, and to skim over or skip over intentionally, not talking about what a great experience prayerfully you have this morning when we gather together. So look for opportunities and take those opportunities. Secondly, do invite your non-Christian friends to church. Intentionally do that. Look for opportunities to do that. When you do that, set, set good expectations of what, what, they, what they're going to experience. Many of them have never uh, been to church or maybe not been to a church like ours. Maybe they come from a different tradition. And so set those expectations. Spend, spend a good amount of time praying for them, right? And, and then include others within that. Remember, it's a team sport. So, so let others within the body know, one, so they can be praying for them when they're coming uh, this next Sunday. And second, that they, can, uh, that they can gather around them when they get here and encourage them, initiate other conversations with them. Then thirdly, we should talk with our non-Christian friends about what they experienced at church. And this is a great way to make this a team sport. So not just in that one-on-one -on -one conversation when you're debriefing later, but really intentionally make a plan for when they come and what you're going to do after the service. So maybe even in the invite to church, it's, hey, come with me to church, and then we'll go get lunch afterwards. Come with me to church, and then uh, I'll, have some I'll have some friends over to the house, and you just come over and have lunch with us afterwards. So it's, it's kind of part and parcel in that. But you're intentionally trying to get them in among other Christians. So not only will they see the gospel and hear the gospel uh, in our service, but hopefully, prayerfully, they'll also see it lived out um, over lunch and hear it as you guys talk about it together and talk about it with them. And so then just debrief that. How did, how did, what did you think of the service? What, what stood out to you? What questions did you, had, did you have? Uh, uh, you know, pulling that out of them and then looking for ways in which what they bring out either helps you see um, an area where they need clarity about the gospel or is going to give you opportunity to jump into an evangelistic conversation. And then um, we should, so, and part of that is that that should be just part of the, the life that you live, that you're inviting uh, non-Christians uh, to just be with you in normal life and to be around your Christian friends in normal life. So we want to be careful not to create this uh, deep separation where over here is where I spend time with my Christian friends. It's where I talk about the gospel. It's where I live this certain life. And over here is when I'm with my non-Christian friends, and I don't talk about Jesus, and maybe I don't live out my Christian life around them, and we create this gulf between them. Instead, we want to we overlap those for lots of different reasons. One, because it, it does guard us against living uh, this separate, hypocritical, non-Christian life, or when we're around non-Christians. 
but more because we're, we're seeing evangelism as a team sport. And we're recognizing that we're not always the one in the perfect position to take the shot. But we can pass the ball among one another, and maybe someone else gets that opportunity. Or they end up setting us up for that shot because they're around each other. And so I, some of you guys I, I'm looking at here, I've heard great stories, great examples of folks you've met maybe like, you know, at your local donut shop and how you've had uh, countless conversations with them, but not only one-on-one just as you're grabbing a donut, but because you've invited them into your life, but invited them into your life with other uh, Christians and the number of conversations that those, um, conversations that have spurred, some of those uh, even in my yard. Um, And so super encouraged by those brothers and sisters who have taken that on. And a good example of how what what we're trying to do is to set ourselves up to recognize easily those opportunities that God has given us, right? And to maybe even lower the threshold of boldness it takes to initiate those kind of conversations. So remember, that's what we're praying for. We're praying for a burden for the lost, opportunities to see those opportunities, and a boldness to share the gospel. But maybe we can kind of give ourselves a little bit of a home field advantage, right? Um, so that the boldness isn't, doesn't feel like it has to be super skyrocket high. But it can just, man, you have these kind of conversations with this brother and sister in Christ all the time. So why not have those kind of conversations with them, but now also with someone who, who doesn't yet know Christ, and you could use that as an evangelistic conversation. So as you guys think about that, um, how, let me just ask this. How have you guys seen that um, to, to play out in your life? I gave it, maybe I just stole somebody's example from the room here, but how have you seen um, the body as, as an addition to you, as an advantage to you in your efforts to share the gospel? wonderful yeah just when we're around brother, brothers and sisters in christ it's just those are just normal conversations to have with them interact with their worldview that's good that's really helpful other ways you guys have seen the the corporate witness uh be an advantage to you in your individual personal witness in evangelism Ruth, in the back. Yeah, I love that what you said. It like it doesn't have to all come out. All of it come out in one conversation, but you can trust that it's it's coming out 
piece by piece in a variety of conversations and not just from one mouth, but then from lots of mouths, which is, I think, also helpful. Like It gives us uh, integrity and validity to what we're saying. It's not just, oh, well, that's just that one person's opinion, but they're hearing it kind of uh, in stereo from multiple sources, and that, that um, encourages them to, to trust in what, what's being said. Is there one more? Is there an, another way in which you, way we, one of these that you've seen, we talked about you know, either how when we gather together or how we think about it as a team sport, that you've, you've already seen that play out? Absolutely. And remind people what you do. I don't know that everyone knows. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. But even just like, again, when you're countering somebody's um, you know, negative um, narrative that they've had in their mind about what the church is and, and how it works and what its value is. And then when you're introducing these, like, no, 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 this is beautiful in my life. And whether that's in a you know, a particular counseling, you know, therapy situation, or whether it's just in our normal everyday break room conversations that we're having with our coworkers or our neighbors, that's, those are really healthy and helpful conversations. And you'd be amazed at how often that is surprising to someone, that church isn't a drudgery or painful, or maybe it brings up something in them that they, that they want to talk about, an experience that they've had, and it gives you the opportunity to jump into a gospel conversation with them well let's let's close by just thinking about a couple ways that the church is going to that we want to encourage you to be faithful in evangelism so first uh, this class is a a prime example of is the local church equips you to evangelize so yes according to ephesians 4 we do have the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and the teachers within the body Yes, there are going to be those who maybe are particularly equipped for that, but those folks exist, according to um, Ephesians 4, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We, we gather together um, particularly to equip you uh, in evangelism. And so sometimes we do that in a very pointed fashion, like offering an equipping class during the summer on evangelism. This is, this is a very direct way in which we want to, uh, to equip you to do this. But some other ways are going to be a, maybe a little less direct. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll share a testimony uh, of evangelism in our Sunday night gathering, or we'll encourage you guys to share them uh, in your life groups. You might uh, indirectly, when you hear uh, a, a personal testimony um, shared before baptism, you may think, that, that sounds a lot like my story. Or even as you hear how they were evangelized, you think, I could do that. I, I need to do that. You're, you're, you're exhorted by that. Or again, just in that re the refrain of the gospel things that we do, where how often you hear it repeated over and over and over again to one another. 
we, we hope that that is equipping you to share the gospel. Because, again, as we said before, it can be helpful to think of the gospel using the tool of God, man, Christ response. Or maybe a, a three circles evangelism um, method or the, the bridge illustration or four spiritual laws. And we can think of a number of tools and that may give you categories for how to share the gospel. But even when we do that, we don't want to do it in a rote uh, kind of like um, concrete um, way in such a way that like when you come to hear the gospel here at, at UBC and you get to that point when Brad goes to share the gospel or, or Trey shares it here in the service in a little bit and you just go, well, I can check out for the next two minutes because I know every word he's going to say. Now, prayerfully, how you're hearing it is in the way in which scripture draws it out, the way in which um, the passage brings it in, the way in which we sing it a little differently, the way the circumstances uh, of the world that we're in uh, bring that to bear. And that is how evangelism happens in the real world, right? You're not always just going to get this elevator pitch moment where you step in and, and someone says, hey, uh, I hear you're a Christian and I don't know what Christians believe. Tell me what Christians believe, but do it before we get to the hundredth floor. And you're like, all right, here we go. Like that that never ever happens, right? Um, and so well, it would be great if it did. It would be great if it happened every time we got in the elevator. But we're not going to get, we're looking for the the multitude of kind of three-dimensional ways in which real-life evangelism happens. And hopefully, as a body, we're, we're equipping you for those kind of opportunities. Secondly, we as a church want to provide you with opportunities for evangelism. We want to provide you with those. So most of our van- evangelism should flow out of the relationships we have with non-Christians that God has placed around us in the world. So we're, we're out doing evangelism as the, the church is gathered and then scattered to do that ministry. But in God's kindness, we can also look to our church as ways, even within our gathering, then we have opportunities to share the gospel. So we talked about this before, but one of the primary places where we have rooms filled with non-believers who need to hear the gospel is in our children's ministry. And so serving uh, intentionally in our children's ministry is a huge help, uh, one, to evangelize the lost, but also hopefully, to grow you as an evangelist. So whether that's just your once-a-month rotation during uh, the main service or whether you commit to being a teacher during the 9 o'clock hour or when we're able to do, say, like Vacation Bible School again next year or other outreaches that we have with children, maybe even with your life group, uh, intentionally, even if you, maybe especially if you don't have kids, is taking a turn with your life group to watch and care for the kids um, while everyone else is in the is in the living room talking about the sermon, th- those are huge and uh, opportunities for you to to not only serve the families within our church, but more importantly, to look for and to to take opportunities to share the gospel. In our children's ministry, we're gonna we're gonna kind of put it up on a tee for you, like we're just gonna set it there and be like, here's the material. Here are lots of lost people. Take a swing at it. And if you if you if you whiff, it's okay. All right. You're, it's a team sport. We got lots of other people who are going to help you with it. We'll get other chances on the weeks, but those are good cuts. Those are good chances to get in and kind of grow in that skill set to share the gospel. Second Mile Ministries uh, is just up the ramp up here. They meet on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday mornings. There are tons of opportunities there to meet with lost people. We have we have outreach opportunities that we do say like at, at Grandview Apartments or with international students. Um, there, are, there are tons of international students on our campus. A lot of what we do is just organically built up by, by members in our church. And so look for those members who are doing that kind of outreach and doing those kind of ministries and just jump in with them. 
just go hang out at the Stillwell's house. Like at any time of the day, just just drop in and hang out with them and you will get an opportunity to be around somebody from another culture. And maybe that will provide an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who's never heard it before, but that they're in their home. All right. And then we want this to be an encouragement, an exhortation. We're going to push you to evangelize um, when we gather together. Hopefully the local church provides that encouragement um, to evangelize. So we see that in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another up toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think absolutely among those things that we encourage one another in as we gather together, as we spur one another on towards um, in our love and good deeds is sharing the gospel with others, is taking the gospel to those who have not yet heard it and responded to it. So in conclusion, um, the local church, UBC, should be a supplement to your personal evangelism but not a substitute for it. So remember, it's a spiritual discipline. We don't want you to neglect, but we also don't want you to feel like you have to go and do this alone. We're not pushing you towards this and then leaving you out on an island. Instead, we're we're gathering you in and encouraging you. This is your role on this team. All right, now let's go and take the field. So some homework uh, for this week. Um, First, Take an opportunity to, to talk through these questions, to consider, meditate on the, the questions that we've given you there. Some of that could be for personal reflection. Maybe even better would be that this could be a corporate thing that you guys talk about with one another, you encourage one another in. In particular, think on question two. When was the last time you invited someone to UBC? Um, and that, as I was thinking through that this week, I, even I know that it's been months since I've invited somebody to UBC. And so, um, why? Why is that? Is there something going on within UBC that you're concerned about that you don't want others to be a part of? And how do we address that? Uh, maybe it's it's legitimate, and we need to we need to fix that thing within UBC. Maybe there's a grievance within your own heart that uh, needs to be addressed. But if not, then then what are we waiting for? Like let's let's uh, invite people in um, to UBC because we because it encourages us in evangelism and it. It hopefully proclaims the gospel to them. Um, a couple books I want to give away before we walk out. Uh, this is um, Evangelism by Max Stiles. This is, so I drew a lot from this book for our teaching today. He does an excellent job. I don't know that I've ever read a book like this that tackles the topic of evangelism, but from the corporate perspective. And so how do we do this together? How do we encourage one another? How do we leverage these things well? And so he obviously has written much more than I said today and in a much, much better fashion. And so if you'd be encouraged by this book, I'd love to give it to somebody. Who wants it? Somebody wants it. Somebody wants this one. Oh, right there. Okay, great. All right. And then a lot of the ways I was thinking, here we go, thinking about what we do when we gather together and why we do what we do. Uh, when we gather at 10.30, um, is informed by uh, Matt Merker's new book on corporate worship. And so this is super helpful as you think about, like, why do we gather? Wh- what do we do when we gather? What regulates that? What guides that? Um, and then how, again, to think about it from an evangelistic perspective, 
um, what, is, what does that look like? So this was super, super helpful. You think about the elements of our services together. So who would be helped by this one right here in front? All right. Great. Okay. Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll head down to the 1030 service. Grateful for you guys, and prayerfully you guys will be encouraged um, to share the gospel with others this week. Lord Jesus, we pray that you give us a burden for the lost, that our heart would um, would ring for the things that uh, that are true to your heart, and that is um, the desire to see those who are far from you uh, brought near, and those who have not yet heard it um, to hear. And so, Lord, we pray that we would we would have that 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 burden that we would weigh upon us this week. We pray that you would open our eyes to those opportunities that you so readily provide, Lord, that we would see them for what they are, and not just gloss over them or ignore them, but Lord, intentionally, Lord, we pray that we would recognize them, and then we would have the boldness to take them, that we would jump into those opportunities, um, trusting in you, trusting in your spirit, trusting in the power of your word, trusting in the goodness of the body that you have placed us in to be able to have those conversations, and Lord, we pray that many this week, because of our faithful and humble efforts, would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by your grace, we pray that they would turn and trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys.